Hello, and welcome to episode 47 of Tech Swamp. We have our hosts and friendly membership team here today. Hey, Brad. Why, hello there. Hello, Caitlin. What's up? You know, just membership chilling. I wondered if you would be membership chilling. <laughs> um, and of course, myself, Alex. So this month, we're sitting down with friend of the pod and communications director, Ashley Durkin Rigsey, for a chat about the newly launched Save Our Standards Coalition, or SOS for short. We'll be talking about the issues facing standard essential, the standard essential patent landscape, or SEPs for short, um, the destructive impact of SEP abuse on our small business members and the app economy at large, uh, and how the SOS Coalition aims to combat that abuse. But before we get into that, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. Speaking of standards and patents, November 17th, 1970, 51 years ago, almost to this very day, uh, the computer mouse was awarded a U.S. patent. Douglas Engelbart received a U.S. patent for his XY position indicator for a display system, or what we would call a computer mouse. The mouse was actually first prototyped in 1964, six years before becoming a patented product, but wasn't demoed until 1968. Finally, 11 years after receiving a patent, the computer mouse was included with the purchase of a commercial computer, the Xerox 8010 Star Information System, in 1981. Fast forward a year or two, and Apple first brought the mouse to the personal computer experience with the Lisa in 1983. But the mouse didn't become ubiquitous until after 1984, when Apple's Macintosh popularized the device. Fun fact. Engelbart called his device a mouse because he thought the cord looked like a tail on a mouse. Imagine that. And the rest is tech history. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in DC. Brad and Caitlin, what are the top tech headlines? You may have heard us mention the long and winding road of the Infrastructure and Jobs Investment Act, aka the Infrastructure Bill. Last episode, we said we're hoping to see the bill pass by October 31st, but that did not happen. But it's okay. We're here with good news. After a few additional delays, the infrastructure bill passed and was signed into law on November 15th. But what does this actually mean for you, us, and the app economy? Well, in the newly passed law is a total of $65 billion for broadband including $42 billion in grants to states, which can be used for actual broadband deployment, and $14.2 billion of the $65 billion has been allocated to provide $30 monthly discounts on internet to low-income Americans. The bill also includes $2.75 billion in grants for digital literacy programs, as well as $2 billion for rural broadband construction. And speaking of bills, the House recently passed the massive $1.7 trillion Build Back Better Act. The bill, which includes several top-line policy priorities of the Biden administration, including universal preschool and paid family leave, is expected to take up much of the legislative calendar for the remainder of 2021. This legislation will now move to the Senate, where it's likely to experience delays similar to the infrastructure bill. We'll keep you posted on Congress's legislative priorities through the end of the year and what to expect in 2022 in our next episode. Another priority for Congress, specifically the Senate, is sifting through President Biden's cabinet nominations. Last episode, we filled you in on the nomination of Jessica Rosenworcel, whose FCC nomination hearing took place this past week. But more recently, there was some controversy around an FTC pick, Alvaro Bedoya, a longtime privacy lawyer, 
also had a recent nomination hearing to serve on the Federal Trade Commission. Bedoya would serve alongside Chairwoman Lisa Kahn, who, if you have listened to past episodes, is no stranger to controversy on the Hill herself. The backlash comes mainly from Senate Republicans over concerns Bedoya, as well as additional leadership at the FTC, would act outside of their jurisdiction by creating new rules for things like data privacy rather than focusing on enforcing the current rules against bad actors. We'll be sure to keep you posted on the nomination process of Biden's cabinet in future episodes of TechSmart. And that's all for what's brewing. As we mentioned earlier, we're being joined by FOTP and Communications Director Ashley Durkin-Rixey for uh, a chat about the newly launched Save Our Standards Coalition, or SOS for short. Hey, Ashley, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me once again. We are so excited for you to be here. So first things first, uh, what is going on with the SOS launch? Um, Tell us a little bit more about what the group is um, and what they are hoping to accomplish. Sure. So under the name SOS is Save Our Standards is our full name. And what's really cool about this group is it's 31 companies from a huge cross-section of industries and companies of all sizes. Uh, The App Association, as we mentioned, is a member. And then some of our ACT members are also members. So big shout out to Computerways, Fresco Capital, Motion Mobs, Team, and Stell for joining SOS as well. We've got companies like Apple, Honda, Dell, Intel, Amazon, and other allied organizations like R Street, uh, CIAA, the Auto Innovators Alliance, and more. What's really cool about this is SEPs have really been talked about in a very narrow context of smartphones and smart device handsets. Mm -hmm. But now that we're in the age of the internet of things, more things are using wireless technology to connect, which means more industries are getting involved. And with that involvement comes big challenges that the cell phone industry saw in terms of patent owners breaking their promises, engaging in abusive behavior when it comes to licensing some of the patents that are a part of a standard. And we've said time and time again, this behavior stifles competition and innovation. And now it's got a chance to stifle competition and innovation across a wider range of industries. So it's really important to bring this group together so we can learn from the people who have been the veterans of the fight for fair and balanced licensing for standard essential patents. and for new industries that are just starting to see some of these fights to learn from each other. Of course. Now, as you mentioned, these groups and organizations range from some of the biggest companies in the world boasting thousands of employees to some of our member companies like Computerways, for example, with just a handful of employees. Can you talk about why it's so important for so many varying groups to be represented in a group like this? Absolutely. Uh, You know, I think one of the most interesting things is that every innovator needs to use patents. It doesn't matter their size. It's something that is, especially when they're incorporated into standards, 
it's a key building block of anything. So if you look at IoT, so much of what's going on with those devices, be it a smart washer and dryer or a refrigerator, a sensor that goes on the side of, say, a commercial garbage dumpster that someone has to come and pick up, all of these are going to run off of an app of some kind. So that directly impacts our members because they're either the device innovators themselves or they're the ones that are making that software to power the device. The difference, especially for small innovators, is they don't necessarily have the resources to go toe-to-toe -to -toe in litigation with a patent holder in this arena. You know, it's easy for a large company with a huge IP department that might have experts in SEPs and the resources to do IP litigation or any other prolonged contract dispute. A lot of small businesses don't. And as we have talked about time and time again, you know, that can really impact a company's bottom line. Like, let's say, Brad, you're making a drone. I'm going to make the app for your drone. If you can't get the wireless patents for that drone, well, I'm not making the app. So that could impact my business. That's one less client that I'm going to be serving that year or it may end up where they have to cut resources in other areas to compensate for some of these legal battles. So it makes a big difference to the day-to-day -day of a small business. Absolutely. Um, so we've kind of flirted with the conversation about the SEP landscape and what's happening on a global scale from an, an abuse standpoint. But I want to dive into that a little bit more. Um, can you give our listeners a rundown of the SEP landscape and talk a little bit about how that might have inspired the SOS launch? Um, you know, what's going on and, and why is this important when it comes to our members? Sure, absolutely. Um, everyone is sort of here is the term patent troll now. But when it comes to SEP abuse, it's a little more like a patent vampire. <laughs> it's I love far, that. It's Who far, has garlic? <laughs> well, hopefully we do. Um, uh, it's far more insidious, and it really goes on for a long time that it can suck the lifeblood out of whole industries. Um, if you look back at some of the patent disputes on SEPs with uh, mobile handsets and smart devices, lots of people made chips in the beginning or had to license SEPs to do this, but other companies that are just patent portfolio companies, they may not be making things anymore, but they still hold on to the technology, will, you know, raise their rates, refuse to license to certain innovators, um, require them to take on licenses for more patents than the ones that they're actually using. And it can drive competition out of the market. If you just look at who was making chips for cell phones, that market really dwindled down. Now it's expanding a little, but you sort of see the same patent holders saying, well, now that we're done with this industry, where can we go next? So they might be looking at agriculture. We talk a lot about data-informed farming. So it's smart center sensors, connected farming systems. You know, how can we sort of get a stakeholder you know, a foothold there with our patent portfolio and pick and choose who we want to license to. Um, transportation is a huge one. Mm 
you know, think about all the smart city innovations and now how we talk about using more wireless infrastructure to manage traffic patterns all the way to autonomous driving. That's another one where they're thinking, ooh, a lot of money could be made. Here's where I'll start to stake my claims. Robotics is another one. Healthcare, basically, if you can connect it to the internet right now, SEPs are there and it's a big place for growth. So you have these patent holders thinking, well, where's my next place that I can sort of, you know, come in, suck the blood out of an industry and then move on. Just real quick before we move on, can we talk really quickly about the the activation around the IEEE um, rules, how they were considering weakening those rules and, and how... Um, how we involved our members in that activation. Sure. Um, Just a little background on IEEE. Um, IEEE is a standard setting organization. Um, They're these really cool, big international groups that set standards, which talk about, you know, interoperability, how to make products work together over a wide variety of things. It's not just on wireless. There's all kinds of standards in this world. Like you're plug that you plug an electronic in that's Mm -hmm. based off of a standard so you have these standard setting organizations that sort of lay down the rules of the road for how both patent holders and those who are going to implement patents as part of a standard or part of a new product come to the table to reach that agreement Um, in 2015 ieee decided to update its patent policy to make sure that SEPs are licensed on fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory, or FRAN terms. Another one on your SEP bingo card. If you have FRAN, (laughs) go ahead and mark mark your card. And that brings a really balanced system that everyone knows the rules of the road and we're all coming to a level playing field. Um, That patent policy update was a huge success. Actually, data looking back at it shows that the clarifications that that patent policy allowed have demonstrably reduced SEP licensing related abuses, deterred unnecessary and burdensome litigation, and actually had more people participating in the standards process. So it was a huge boon especially for people who are implementing standards. But again, some patent holders in this space want to be able to charge whatever they want, license to who they want, even though they made this commitment. It's sort of, you know, the crossing the fingers during a promise behind your back (laughs) and uh, (laughs) winking very obviously. Sure, I'll license this to you on FRAN terms. So they've instituted a review at IEEE to see if that 2015 patent policy update should still hold. And I think what's been really awesome about the activation was, one, we had over 52 members from the application app association from all over the globe urging them to preserve the patent policy update for a lot of those same reasons that we talked about and then you saw similar comments that constituted an overwhelming majority of the comments that were filed coming from all these different industries from auto from other think tanks 
on patent issues. You got some from healthcare companies, from you know big companies that are in all kinds of IoT development. So you really have the pulse of where this innovation is happening coming together to say, no, we really need this to continue to grow this base. Absolutely. Um, And that activation really came hand in hand, um, or it happened to come right after the launch of SOS. Um, And then just after the launch, we also um, uh, worked with SOS to have a webinar. And Ashley, you were the moderator of that. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about some of the insights that were shared during that and um, maybe a little bit about sort of future events and activations um, we could expect from SOS? One of the highlights of the webinar was having kickoff remarks from two members of Congress, Representative Daryl Issa of California and Representative Haley Stevens of Michigan. I was really excited to have remarks from these two members of Congress because they both represent districts that are innovating in the wireless space. Uh, Representative Stevens has a lot of automakers in her district. Representative Isa himself is very familiar with IP as someone who has been in the technology business and also has a lot of companies in his district who are innovating in these spaces. And both of them were able to tie together what's happening with standard essential patent abuse to the bigger picture of how we're talking about manufacturing in America, where we're going to be global leaders of tomorrow when it comes to connected devices, wireless, and really kind of going with the Biden administration's build back better plan. So this is a really important issue for the economy as a whole. And I think that was one of the most interesting things about this panel. We also had some experts from across the spectrum of our SOS membership. Um, It felt a little bit about like, you know, a joke of like the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy and a rabbi walk into a bar. (laughs) Um, So we had a company that is a global giant in terms of using standard essential patents in Google. We had a smaller company uh, from Nordic Semiconductor based in Sweden who both holds SEPs and also implements them on behalf of their IoT clients. So they have a really interesting space and work with a lot of small businesses. And then we had Public Knowledge, who is a think tank and advocate for a lot of issues related to intellectual property and how it impacts policy, consumers, and the global economy. So you heard all these different people coming together to talk about their part of this issue, but tie it into a bigger picture of the things we need to change on the policy side um, for businesses and their individual education around these issues and just showing the breadth of products that use SEPs. Um, I always love a visual when someone can bring it to a webinar Mm -hmm. and, um, Marianne Friedelund from Nordic Semiconductor actually showed us the tiny chip that all this hubbub is about. And it's really cool to see that that is just a small component, that one little component is part of a much bigger product landscape. 
And if you look at Nordic's website, for example, there are over a thousand different clients developing different things. Um, Google, as we know, is in so many different spaces when it comes to connecting wireless devices in both smart home, uh, semi-autonomous driving, all kinds of things just beyond you know, cell phones and handsets. And John uh, Bergmeier from Public Knowledge really tied it together for what does this mean for the economy? What does this mean for the consumer? And in the long picture, it's consumers could be faced with less choice because if there are less innovators in the marketplace, we're missing out on the next big thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sort of in that spirit, is there anything that we should be looking out for from SOS uh, in, the, in, in the future for next year, maybe? Well, just a little tease. If you happen to be <laughs> in Austin, Texas in March, some yeah. of these same panelists are going to join us at South by Southwest to talk about this issue. Uh, it's a great place to talk about kind of a niche issue that has a much bigger impact than you think. Um, South by Southwest has so much energy around it, around innovation and how we harness technology to make our lives better. So it's a great place to take that message and talk about that. Um, we also plan to do a lot more education events. So for people who are new to the standard essential patent world, bringing in some outside groups, like we're hoping to get some of those same standard setting organizations to come in, educate participation, participants on what they do, how they can be more involved and talk with different policymakers and regulators to share, you know, best practices around licensing and keep pushing for a fair and balanced standard system. Absolutely. Uh, a lot to look forward to. So we're excited to hear more as, as SOS and their work continues. Um, so thank you so much, Ashley, for sitting down with us to fill us in um, on Save Our Standards. Um, we, uh, like I said, we're excited to hear more. I'm sure uh, we'll have you back to tell us even more in 2022. Absolutely. And if you'd like to know more about what the coalition is doing, you can visit SaveOurStandards.com or give us a follow on Twitter at, at SaveStandards or friend us on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And we'll have all of those links in the show notes. Um, thank you so much again, Ashley. Thanks for having me. And now it's time for Random Identifier. Brad, you are up first. Of course. So I am actually going to talk about a kind of cover album of one of my favorite albums of all time. And that Ooh. would be uh, Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs by Derek and the Dominoes, which was Eric Clapton's band between Cream and becoming the solo superstar Eric Clapton. Okay. Um, and he did it with Duane Allman as well as uh, from the Allman Brothers. So it's a fantastic oh. blues rock album from... Uh, back in the day. However, it has recently been re-recorded in a live version by the Tedeschi Trucks Band with oh. Trey Anastasio of Fish. And it okay. is wow. a fantastic album. I, uh, I was actually late to the party in buying the vinyl, and it is now far too expensive for me to, to purchase. I think it's been <laughs> in high demand, but it is absolutely fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, Noah I mean, loves live music more than Brad. 
That's I don't true. Think, yeah, that might be that might be true. What you know, who's to say? <laughs> what is your what is your favorite track on the album? So I mean, most people say Layla because it's like the biggest hit, but I'm right. a huge fan of Bell Bottom Blues. It's very mm. very good. Nice. I love, love some alliteration too. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's a good one. I'll have to remember that. That sounds like a good gift for my dad too. Oh yeah, it's very good. It yeah. is very good. Very cool. Um, Caitlin, how about you? What do you have for us? Um, well, as we know, Thanksgiving is approaching, um, and uh, the dog show is a tradition yes. um, that happens. And I, I was thinking about it because I, I watched the dog show after the parade, obviously. And I have never felt an allegiance to, like, a certain breed. I've just kind of, like, picked my favorite, you know, based on the personality, the vibes, what I'm picking up through the screen. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And now that I have Bandit, I'm wondering how my dog show behaviors are going to change. Yeah. If I'm going to be rooting for the Australian Shepherds, for the Dachshunds, if I'm going to be a number one hater to all of them and think that Bandit is the best. Um, I'm really anticipating uh, this dog show and and how my allegiance to my dog will impact it. So yeah, looking forward to that. I wonder how Bandit will react to the dogs on the screen. Hopefully she does. Um, sometimes she reacts to them, like, especially if they're, like, barking on screen or, like, there's, like, a Subaru commercial with dogs barking yeah, yeah, and she yeah. loves it. So if the dogs are barking, she will be watching. But Bandit also encountered a deer yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Um, for the first time in her young life. And <laughs> I thought she was going to totally freak, but she just was, like, staring and then was like, okay, I think we can go now. Like, this seems good to go. And then That's we left. Funny. But, like... Yeah, I'm wondering, wondering how she's going to react. I might have yeah. to put on some some nature TV for her when I start leaving or like the dog show when I start <laughs> leaving the house and see if she if she's down with it. That's funny. Brad, how does Gracie react to like dogs on TV? Um, she usually doesn't care too much, but dogs in real life she really likes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, well, um, okay, what I'm here to talk about today. We all know spooky season is my favorite season. Yes. My second favorite season is the holiday season because guys it's bad movie season bad (gasps) holiday movie time um i'm so excited the time has come they've already started being released um vanessa hudgens is in her element right now yeah okay so (laughs) these are just the netflix i'm gonna read you the netflix titles for the movies that have been released but my guess is there's gonna be some dark horses that come out like in december that they just like haven't announced yet and again yeah seriously and this is just this is like just netflix so like just imagine all the ones on like hallmark and like lifetime or whatever that i'm sure i will be watching at two o'clock in the morning when i can't sleep um okay so are you ready these are the titles on netflix love hard princess switch (laughs) three snowbound for christmas christmas flow father christmas is back single all the way wait wait is mm-hmm. Christmas Flow, Father Christmas is Back one movie? No, no, no. Christmas Flow was a movie, and then Father okay. Christmas is Back. But Father okay. Christmas, um, all I know is that, uh, was his name? Kelsey Grammer is the father in that situation. Um, oh. Yeah, that's all I know about it. Um, Single All the Way, A Castle for Christmas, which stars Brooke Shields, who, in case you didn't know, is a Princeton alum. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, that's a thing that I know because, uh, yeah, that's where I'm from. Uh, and A California Christmas. <laughs> Which one are you most excited to view? 
that's such a good question that I knew you were going to ask me, and I thought that I would have um, an answer. And I think that I do, and I will tell you why this is my answer. So Single All the Way, I think, is the one that I'm most excited for. But specifically because I believe it's the first, um, like, Christmas movie where the love story is um, not about straight people. Um which is love this inclusive yeah yes yeah so i think that's why i am most excited for it and also it has um i don't remember the actor's name i'm sorry i'm sure the actor totally listens to text Womp and will sorry be offended. To actor. um but all i remember is that he was in ugly betty um oh. and he was very funny um so i'm excited yeah i'll be watching these i, I love the i haven't watched a christmas switch is that what it's called? Christmas Switch? Princess Switch. Princess Switch. Mm-hmm. I watched the first one of that, and then I knew there were more, mm-hmm. or at least one more, and I did not complete um, the second one. Yeah. But I think this might be the time, because I'm home with my family. Like, right. It's always more fun to watch that with someone else, so like I'll like force oh, yeah. my sister to watch it and my niece or something. Exactly. Who is an infant, and she will watch it. Yeah. I also watched watch. the first one. I started the second one. <laughs> I didn't get through the second one, but I'm going to give it another chance this year. I think I'm in a better... If you like, didn't get through the second one, how am I supposed to get through the second one? I mean, it was <laughs> rough stuff, but I, but... I don't have a prayer to get through, so... <laughs> Brad is just, like, blocking Netflix from his entire device so that he yeah. doesn't even have to see them. I deleted it. <laughs> um, I'm just ready, because remember, there was the prin- the princess... No, the royal, oh, a royal, whatever. The one with the royal, and it was, like, first they meet and they fall in love, and then they had a baby. It was the royal baby. And then, like, or no, royal and I Christmas I, prince? I, yeah, that one. Thank you. I'm hoping that the third one is one of the dark horses. I don't horses. know that. Because I've talked about it every year for three years. <laughs> it's important and to us. Again, I'm really hoping that the third one is released this year. I feel like I was promised it last year, and we didn't get it, and I kind of want it, so... I can't remember if it's the third one or the fourth one. I just know that another one's coming out. And they're so perfect in... They're, like, exactly what I want from my bad Christmas movie. I'm sure there are some great ones coming out on Hallmark. Last year, they had, like, a sort of bayou theme. So they were all sort of, like, set in either New Orleans or sort of, like, the bayous of Florida. Oh, Um, my gosh. Yeah. <clears throat> I guess I shouldn't say they're they all took a New risk Orleans, with that but... because it's warm down there. You know, you yeah. really have to lean into Christmas in other ways. Decorations, when you're in the South. lots of lots of Christmas villages Ooh, where they so were set. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm here for it. I love them. I love how I. We know this. I don't have to <laughs> sing their praises again and again and again, but I will because you know what? It's the little things in life. <laughs> um, all right, folks. <laughs> That's it for Text Mom. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And we now have transcripts available. You can find them in our show notes as well as on podscribe.com. Just search Text Mom. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would love a rate review. Five stars on That's all for today, folks. Everyone, say bye. Bye. Bye.